1: Welcome to the 38th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, President of Sensei Enterprises. We would like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Digital War Room, one of the leading platforms for e-discovery.
2: And I'm John Simic, Vice President of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is Data Breaches in the Healthcare Industry, Lessons for Law Firms. We're delighted to welcome as our guest our longtime friend, healthcare attorney Alan Goldberg. Alan is a solo practitioner in McLean, Virginia. He served in the Navy JAG and practiced three nine years with Goldstein & Stores, with offices in Boston and Washington, D.C. A past president of the American Health Lawyers Association, Alan teaches health law and health and information technology as an adjunct professor at American University Washington College of Law and George Mason University
1: School of Law. Thanks so much for joining us today, Alan.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, let me start with something that I think puzzles a lot of people. When you look at the list of data breaches each year, and of course it's compiled uh, each year, and you can see every data breach that's been reported, so many of them seem to be in the healthcare industries. Am I incorrect in assuming that there really aren't more proportionately breaches in healthcare industries, simply tougher laws governing the fact that they have to report the breach?
0: The answer is yes and yes. Let me explain, Sharon. I believe anecdotally, I have not done a scientific analysis, but anecdotally, it's likely that there are a lot of breaches involving healthcare specifically and in the healthcare industry generally because it's so big and because there's so much information that is potentially of concern in terms of disclosure. We have point. $2.8 seven two point eight trillion dollars, it's up around that now, I think, per year, going through our economy here in the United States in healthcare. That's a, a lot of money, and it's based substantially and surprisingly to some on information flow. So uh, I think there's a lot of breach happening in the healthcare industry more than in some others. And remember in the healthcare industry the privacy constraints, the security constraints are still relatively new under federal legislation, that perhaps we'll talk about. But I would confirm, uh, again, the other part of your question with a yes, there are tough laws governing healthcare entities, both on the federal and state level.
2: Well, Ellen, in your experience, what's the usual means by which these data breaches occur? And from your answer, wouldn't they likely also apply to law firms too?
0: Once again, John, uh, my answers are easy, yes and yes. The, <laughs> the usual way that I've seen, and uh, there are so many breaches, one uh, would have difficulty making rules in terms of why they happen in the usual means. Some are not publicized. Some are not made available for investigation or the like. But my experience is that the breaches occur for three reasons. First, unfortunately, because... So many people, particularly in healthcare, still believe that uh, because it didn't happen before, it won't happen in the future. I hear that all too often, so that's uh, one of the difficulties. I think the other reason we get a lot, the means that they happen, in other words, people assume we're not going to have any data breaches because they never happened before, so they don't prepare. The other reason is the preparation or the activity to address Potential breaches is lame. It's simply not effective. In fact, it's probably retrogressive and, if anything, sometimes hurtful and more likely to incur breaches, which is surprising. And I think the other reason why breaches occur is the misassumption by some that the traditional ways in which people communicate in business are perfectly all right in health care and they're not particularly these days. Uh, a simple point that I'd make is uh, normal communications in terms of electronic mail or faxes or the like people do that all the time in sensitive industries as well but in healthcare that's always very dangerous. The the issue for law firms is pretty much the same. Law firms generally in my experience having been privileged to be in a a large law firm which I can assure you was Likely to be more sensitive to these issues in part because I'd like to think I contributed to that, but also because many of the big law firms are now getting the message. They're realizing that there has to be something done. The not so big law firms, that's where the challenge is. The smaller firms, and by smaller, I'm going up 50 or 100, even 150 lawyers, I consider to be relatively small. Like in healthcare, They assume, some of them, there's never been a breach, so there won't be a breach. We're lawyers. We know how to keep our mouths buttoned and not say bad things. They just don't have the concept and the understanding of the fact that there's not a bank robbery type of situation where someone comes in and burglarizes the the law firm. What happens is either an employee or, or some stranger, some contractor, or some inadvertence occurs. And before you know it, the information is out.
2: So that's sort of the "it'll never happen here" concept. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, that's so prevalent, John, and it's so undermining. In general, being a lawyer, I have to give people advice that uh, is not always welcome, particularly in healthcare. Uh, I will hear a response. Well, why are you worried about that? Uh, you know, you seem to be more anxious than most people uh, that we speak with, and of course, people are speaking with other people in healthcare and. Indeed, as a, an attorney, uh, my zealous advocacy has to be intended to deal with Dante's Inferno. In other words, I live figuratively in Hades, uh, where all those miserable characters are that do bad things. Most healthcare providers and law firms they're in heaven. I mean, let's face it; they're very lucky. They deal with decent, honorable, effective, very well trained people, whether in the healthcare. Delivery system, or in the law firm, they're not used to skulldudgery, which unfortunately uh, we run into when it comes to breach of information. Mm. Another example, the the parallel would be bank robbers. You know, you don't expect somebody to rob a bank who works in a hospital, or who works in a law firm, and those are not the bank robbers. So. That's part of the challenge.
1: Well, so now you have these people who don't want to hear, and and we know because we preach uh, too, so you're speaking to the choir when you speak to us, but how do you get through their resistance, and what do you tell them about the most important things they need to do to prevent breaches?
0: I'm a firm believer in uh, being quite transparent on what the negative consequences are, so I'll give you three. Uh, One is a negative consequence can be very expensive. That tends to get people's attention, uh, in other words, in my experience, there's a local underestimation, and it's surprising uh, because a little thought would give people more understanding, but the thought doesn't occur and people just don't realize that we're talking very big magnitudes of dollars, not only to address the consequences of a breach, but just to get ready. To address the consequences, to accumulate the information. So first I tell people about money. That tends to get their attention. The second thing I tell them is uh, that the penalties, and by the way, the costs I was just describing have nothing to do with penalties. Then I tell them about the penalties, the consequences, the regulatory enforcement, the potential criminal liability. That tends to get attention as well. So first you have ordinary expenses that are extraordinary, then you have potential regulatory oversight. And then third, and and this is a big one too, is the emotional consequence, the embarrassment, the tremendous deflation that occurs. Part of my work, I will tell you, uh, both in my healthcare practice, I have the privilege of representing psychiatrists and I use psychiatrists frequently as consultants in particular cases, so I have a greater sensitivity than most to consequences to people of actions and inactions. It is among the most distressing circumstances to be accused of, to find that the accusation is accurate, and then to have to deal with a data breach in healthcare or in a law firm. And uh, both of them, therefore, can be devastating. And I tell people about that, and usually, because this is what I do, I'm able to convince them after a period of time. If I'm not, I keep coming back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Repetition sometimes <laughs> helps.
0: That's, I am definitely the chairman of the Department of Redemption <laughs> Department when it comes to alerting people I care about uh, to these kinds of areas of jeopardy. Uh, as uh, you and John know so well, it's not a pleasant circumstance. Nobody is involved in a lot of hugs and kisses when one of these things happen. It's just, it's terrible. And terror is the word.
1: Now, we we always say that the first 10 minutes of conversation is, or the first hour of conversation, is the upchuck hour when you tell them what's about to happen to them now that they've been breached. So, Alan, wouldn't those consequences
2: be similar for law firms as well? And how would that penalties piece fit in there that that you just mentioned?
0: Yes. The law firms face many more challenges now than they used to in this respect Uh, under the new federal regulations that are now in force, the law firms and many others are exposed to direct liability insofar as federal and possibly other enforcement insofar as data breaches are concerned. So we now have a regulatory system that even before included law firms indirectly but now quite directly. So that's number one and and number two, there's nothing as undermining of a good client relationship than a client having troubles and the troubles are caused by a professional advisor, whether the advisor is an attorney or uh, some other professional. And the liability there may be an indirect liability, but it probably can be even more potent than the direct governmental liability. And I will tell you, John, what's interesting now and this, once again, it's more of a big law firm concern, and hopefully big law firms can address this and are getting ready for it. But some in-house attorneys, because many of the in-house attorneys now are far more sensitive than some of the law firm attorneys, in my experience, to these security and privacy issues, are asking for representations and warranties and, indeed, a disclosure of procedures. In other words, some major client relationships may be challenged because the law firm isn't prepared to be transparent in terms of its privacy and security technologies, policies, and procedures. It's so different now than it used to be 10 or Mm. 20 or 30 years ago, or go back uh, 47 or so when I started practicing and everything was paper, file cabinets were where all the information was, There were no fax machines. Nobody had email. Today, a law firm is basically a communications organization that enhances that which is communicated with some knowledge and insight and judgment. So basically, we're all dealing with information Mm. and enhancing it. And information, as we know, euphemistically, I suppose, wants to be breached. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some people
1: say uh, information wants to be shared, but uh, I agree with you, and I think really you're right. Information does want to be breached. So I know that government regulators, they're particularly intense about financial institutions and healthcare institutions. I think those are the two I've seen them bear down on the the most strictly. So what do the government regulators expect and look for in terms of data security in the healthcare industry?
0: Let me start simple, Sharon, and get a little more. Complex and what you and John do really gets to the more complex side, which is the necessary ultimate goal. The simple first thing, and it is really so obvious once one knows it. But if it takes an understanding to realize it, the first thing the investigators say, and I'll share with you from my direct experience, is "What have you done?" I mean, it's quite simple. Have you ever engaged in a process? and oftentimes, particularly within healthcare, there is a very well-regulated and specified process to address privacy and security of information, both electronic and otherwise. So the first thing that regulators ask for is show me something, it's quite simple. And uh, what I always like to tell people is, uh, if you give me something, I can work with it. You know, Give me what you have, if you have something, And then I work with it, and I deal with it. But if you give me nothing, then all I can work with is my skill as an advocate, and that's what I do, but it's more difficult because it's always more effective to base the advocacy on something. So first you need something. Now what's the something? Here it gets complex. I'm a firm believer, based upon my experience with y 2 k Perhaps Sharon and John, you remember Y2K. It was an interesting time in life oh, yeah. when all of us were sending letters back and forth that some even sent them via email that said, Would you fill out this questionnaire? You know, we had these 10 page, 15 page questionnaires on what the other company did to prepare for Y2K. And of course, people being what they are, people copied it and sent it right back to you. So, well, one of the things that the government regulators now do is they will send you these questionnaires, and interestingly enough, they're published. You can literally go to the internet on the website of the government agency and download a fairly comprehensive tool to analyze what has been done. So getting back to the original point, you have to design a program as a law firm or as a healthcare provider or someone who assists either, And it has to be well set forth. It has to be comprehensive. It has to be responsive to the law. And equally as important, it has to be updated and current. So first, you have to have something. Second, it's good to have something that's effective. And third, after one and two, you need an update and amendments and the like. I often find that people say, well, last year or two years ago, we did a security audit. And that's great. And it's up on the shelf. We have it in this big uh, DVD. See, we're we're very technology oriented. So we put it on a DVD and we have it. And I say, well, how old is it? Well, about two years. And that's, that's so good. (laughs) And again, you know, we have to recognize that the organization in healthcare or the law firm is only as secure as the training and technology prowess of the staff who deals with electronic uh, information or paper information as good as the staff member who arrived yesterday. And that's where the education and the revisions come in. So... uh, But
2: but at least they didn't put on a floppy disk, Alan.
0: Well, you never know. I I, uh, still have some of my floppy disk readers just in case for any legacy. Uh, But I I don't have any technology security programs uh, on that. But I would reaffirm again and again when I listen to the government regulators speak, I'm privileged sometimes to collaborate with them in education, because I believe so strongly, in this is a, a community effort, as a public service, uh, they will say, and they're correct, that you have to keep treating people, that's what it's all yep, about, yep. and as I say, it should be obvious. But some people say, make me safe, make me secure, and then don't come back. It doesn't work that way.
2: Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, the Digital War Room Platform for eDiscovery.
1: Don't be caught unprepared for eDiscovery. Digital War Room eDiscovery software allows you to search, review, mark, and produce responsive email and documents. Powerful enough for your biggest cases, but easy enough for first-time e-discovery attorneys. Geeks need not apply. Digital War Room has a solution for every client, every case, and every budget. Visit www.digitalwarroom.com for a free trial and see how easy e-discovery can be. Make your next case your best case with Digital War Room. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're talking about data breaches in the healthcare industry, lessons for law firms, with noted healthcare attorney Alan Goldberg. So, Alan, can insurance help when a healthcare entity has been breached? That's the first thing I think most people think about.
0: Yes, uh, not only for a uh, healthcare entity, but also for the law firm. Uh, there is insurance, but I must alert people uh, some of us, we don't necessarily feel good about publicizing is read insurance policies and spend a lot of time dealing uh, with them and negotiating about them. Those of us who do that, and I include myself within the group, realize that the insurance for privacy, security, internet, data breaches, it's available, but it's complicated. There are exclusions, exceptions, conditions. That having been said, it's a good idea to explore this. What I always tell people is Find your insurance agent after this seminar or speech, whatever I'm giving or discussion, and ask your insurance agent whether you have coverage for data breaches, or privacy, security issues that arise. If the answer is no, find a different insurance agent.
2: Mm. <laughs> there you go. Well. Alan, how can legally required data breach notifications, and we have a lot of states now that have that requirement, and remediation of the underlying problems that cause a breach, how can those best be done?
0: They're best done not by the subject of the breach, and I go through this again and again. <laughs> you know, the, the organization says, well, we had this data breach, and you know, I've designated a couple of people to stay over the weekend and tell us what we should do. doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Generally, what I find people doing is retaining a respectable, responsible, experienced firm that specializes in getting all of the notices. I will alert you, though, that some of those firms welcome, and fortunately, most of them seem to understand that there is needed the assistance uh, from the point of view of legal advice, from the point of view of what you all do, uh, technology and security advice or the notice firms that are the best, I find, say, hey, we need a team because that's the only way we'll get it done correctly. So you have to go find a team of good people Mm -hmm. and, frankly, then get out of the way as the subject of the breach because you'll only make it worse.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that. I I think, too, people are very curious because they don't really have a, a clear sense of what the cost of a breach might be and then remediating the reason for the breach. So, can you talk a little bit about those costs?
0: Yes, bluntly, with concern that it may surprise some people, hundreds of thousands of dollars is minimal. In other words, that's the beginning of a major breach effort in healthcare or for a law firm. People just don't understand how. Quickly those dollars can add up because the multiplicity of regulatory constraints, professional constraints, and as I mentioned earlier, the emotional and psychological consequences, and let's also emphasize the business consequences, the best firms are most astute in also, if necessary, and sometimes it is, getting media consultants to help in terms of the reach out and explaining look, this is what happened, we didn't want it to happen, we're going to make it better. The investment that people make, and as I say, it can be hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, far better to do that than to have the consequences out there and not know that Everything's been addressed, and the risk has been minimized of losing business. So we're talking big money.
2: Wow. So, Alan, how how long can it take to conclude and settle a a governmental regulatory investigation, and who should you get to help you, You know, obviously besides yourself?
0: I would say uh, three things. Uh, First, and again, this, this is a surprise to some people, several years, several years, literally, and I repeat that for emphasis, and that's several years of back and forth, the regulatory agencies, Don't stop. And understand, they're good people, generally, the regulatory agencies, they're trying to prevent the subject of the breach from running into that same difficulty again. And so they do try both to educate and enthuse toward proper behavior. So several years, and in terms of what you do insofar as responding, my experience has been that the regulators, as well as everybody else, they're, you know, pretty intelligent people and they know when somebody hires professional talent that has expertise in these areas, it's more likely than not that uh, the job will get done properly. And I include that in the rejoinders and the responses. I'm not shy. If You know, if I'm hiring Sharon and John, I say so. And I put it right out there. And as you say, it could be anybody, other people, do what we do, but I put it right in there, and I say, this is what we're doing, this is what the contract is, this is how serious my client takes this, and you know what? I think that prevails very nicely over the anxiety that some in the investigatory regulatory area have about people not taking these kinds of things seriously.
1: Wow. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Alan. I think a lot of people, whether they're in the healthcare industry or they're lawyers who have healthcare clients or just law firms who are interested in data breaches, they don't understand that they're going to need legal help, even if they are a law firm. They don't understand how expensive it is to do the notifications, especially if they have to do them across all the various states. Uh-huh. They don't understand the cost of investigation and remediation of whatever caused the breach and just the ongoing angst and the reputational damage that comes with all of this, so it's really been nice to have you shine a spotlight on all that. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners today.
0: It's been my pleasure. Again, thanks for the invitation, and a pleasant afternoon to all who's listening to us.
1: That does it for this edition of Digital
2: Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes.
1: And you can find more about Sensei's Computer Forensics Technology and Security Services at S-E-N-S-E-I-E-N-T dot com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives.
0: Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.